Hello and welcome to the Recovering from Religion podcast. Our mission here is to offer hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. What follows is the audio from selected videos posted on Recovering from Religion's YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Tora Bondrager escaped the middle of the night at age 15 so she could go to high school. She's the author of The Amish Girl in Manhattan, and to her knowledge, the first female Amish escapee to graduate from an Ivy League school. Her story has been featured on MTV and For- Forbes.com, among others. Today, she advocates for the right of Amish children to go to school beyond the eighth grade. Tora founded the Amish Heritage Foundation, which focuses on making education a federal right and overturning the Supreme Court case, Wisconsin versus Yoder. So I am go ahead tour i uh, go ahead and get started i'm excited for this talk <laughs> i'm okay you're <laughs> welcome thank you so much it's such a delight to be back here with you again the second round um i just i love rfrx and the whole community so, um and uh i guess we'll get started on what um, is the Amish Heritage Foundation, and I have some slides, so let me see if I can get yeah. that going. The um, previous RFRX you uh, uh, host guested on, uh, we talked about the Amish, and uh, that was just a, just a very revealing and fantastic discussion, and, and I'm really glad that we did that before, so we can kind of set up what, what uh, the, the Amish Heritage Foundation is in existence for. I'm really, really happy about that. I feel like I got a good primer from you um, last time. <laughs> good. Um, okay, so I'm going to share my screen again. I thought I had it ready to go, and then something was not appearing right. Um, let me see. And I think I'm now on full screen mode. Can you see that? Yeah, it looks great. Yay, good. <laughs> Um, so this was made um, for RFRX, the Foundation Spotlight, and that's our website. And um, here's a photo of one style of traditional Amish buggies. This is the Pennsylvania style. And then this photo here is of the Midwestern Amish style of caps that the women wear. So um, before I go into our mission and vision, I just wanted to give a little bit of our backstory or origins. We were established in 2018 and we're the first organization in 300 plus years of history to advocate for Amish people without a religious price tag. That means we're secular. (laughs) And um, and, uh, when we say Amish people, it means practicing and non-practicing Amish. Um, so uh, that's something I'll go into a little bit more later about the um, uh, meaning of Amish. And then our flagship event is our annual conference on Wisconsin versus Yoder's continuing negative impact on the Amish population. And we will have our third annual conference this spring, which I'll talk more about it uh, about later at the end. Our mission and vision is um, Uh, that we're committed to empowering Amish women and children uh, with education past the eighth grade so they can exercise their human and constitutional rights to create and choose their futures. And it's really important for for us at the Amish Heritage Foundation to continually get this message out 
that uh, we only have an eighth grade education and it's not even a public school education at that, it's even less than that. Um, and we need to have a basic level of educational rights in order to even exercise our, um, what constitutional rights we do have. And we envision that one day Amish children will have the right to learn beyond the eighth grade, including the right to learn about science, technology, engineering, math beyond, uh, beyond arithmetic. Um, we only have about a, a third or fourth grade um, average level of math um, for Jeez. the average Amish adult. Um, civics, law, philosophy, and the fine arts. We don't, we're not taught any of that. Um, the average Amish adult has about a fifth grade um, English comprehension level. And speaking of English, <laughs> we speak English as a second language. So that's another thing that um, most people are not aware of is that we speak Amish, not Pennsylvania Dutch, <laughs> which is what you will see everywhere, but it's not Dutch. It's also not Pennsylvania German because um, that's there are people who do say they speak Pennsylvania German, but it's a different type of, of um, German than what we Amish speak, or um, we do have um, a, a, a language based on the socio-political criteria of languages. So for example, some of the Scandinavian languages, um, you, people can understand each other, but they're still considered languages and not dialects. So that's the argument we're making in terms of the language. And then also, of course, um, our um, future vision is that education will be a constitutional right for every US citizen. That means on a federal level, it's an explicit right, which if you don't know about it by now, no one um, in the US has a right to any education at all, not even to read, speak, or write. That was really surprising when we talked about that last time. I We just briefly glossed over it. I know we'll go into a little bit more um, this time around, but uh, both uh, learning that the Amish only have an eighth grade education and now hearing that they have less than that when it comes to English and mathematics, but also understanding that it, it's not a human, it's not a right uh, to have that. It's that's That's really surprising. Yeah, I mean, it's it's mind blowing, <laughs> and I and uh, it was a struggle in the beginning um, to kind of like figure out the messaging because so much of what was um, sort of the pop culture understanding about us Amish was that it's all peaceful, gentle folk, nostalgia, idyllic kind of society, and the people, the few people who were aware of the Wisconsin versus Yoder case. Um, basically looked at it as, well, it's an Amish-centric case. It doesn't affect us. It doesn't matter. And when I finally hit on, oh, actually, no one has a right to education at all, that was then when things shifted towards um, people starting to care who weren't Amish and starting to get it, that this case really does matter, does affect you personally. And so speaking yeah. of how all of this came about, um, I uh, created this foundation um, as a result of, of when I was around 13 years old. I told myself at that time that if I made it after my escape, I'd help the ones left behind. And um, it, it was inspired by um, Harriet Tubman's story, which I read around 13 years old, maybe younger. 
And I was so inspired by the Underground Railroad and just that fierceness and boldness of, of Harriet Tubman for one's rights. And I really, you know, related to that, identified with that struggle um, because I too felt like I was enslaved. I was considered a piece of property owned by my parents or the church and not, um, you know, I, I didn't even have the same rights as someone um, assigned male at birth in the Amish. Like uh, literally, if you are born, you know, female or assigned female, you are, do not have the same rights as, as, as the males. Um, and so Harriet Tubman's story was something that never left me. And um, that really kind of like was the voice, like expressed for me, verbalized what I was feeling. So this was at the age of 13 that you realized you needed to leave this community. Like that's, uh, that is like eighth grade or so, or just a little after if I'm not mistaken. Right. So, so 13, I, I'm thinking I probably was a little bit younger, but it's a little vague because um, at 11 years old, I made the decision to escape. So I was actually even younger, <laughs> wow. but um, I, I, so, so I'm unsure. Did I read the story at 11 about Harriet Tubman or a little bit later? It was somewhere around that time. So I always err on the side of a little bit later <laughs> um, because even 13 years old is, is pretty young. But 11 was when I read the Bible from beginning to end, cover to cover, um, in search for answers. And um, that's when I felt that I couldn't, I felt it was unethical for me to remain practicing Amish um, in, in short. But then at it, 11 years old, you felt that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was that obvious to you? That's well, impressive. I, <laughs> I wish I was that astute at 11 years old. Maybe here. <laughs> well, I, I'm not the, the, you know, typical child when it comes to that. I, I do feel that most or a good number of Amish children, I would say the vast major, majority of Amish children are not happy. Um, they're not getting answers. They're not being allowed to express themselves. Oh. You know, you're not allowed to question. I mean, that's part of the whole um, forcing you to stop learning at the eighth grade and restricting what you do learn um, through that time. It's all um, a way to very effectively control the Amish institution, the, the whole population. And um, I, I, I feel that most children just, they, they just give up or they just don't see a way out and they resign to remaining practicing. Um, and the few that do manage to escape and, and go on don't value education, don't see the value of it. Or if they see the value of it, they're so undereducated, so ill-prepared that they, they can't even pass a GED to get into community college. I mean, that's a, you know, a, a repeating story that we see, that I've seen. Um, so I'll get to that a little bit later where one of the things, the projects we have in the works to hopefully solve that. Um, but what I wanted to do here a little bit more is just cover, well, who are the Amish for anyone who's not familiar um, with the Amish? And um, the traditional Amish are in the US, United States and Canada. Um, they're uh, a minority population um, of 
around 350,000, um, that's something across 30 or 31 states in rural America. So you're not going to see them in the big cities or even the medium-sized cities. We're out in the rural countries, country area. And um, in Canada, there's probably about four to six provinces um, with Amish communities. Um, all of this is, are, these statistics are things that we need to get funding for to research. So we're just doing our best um, based on what we personally know. Um, and then in terms of the average family, that's eight to nine children really depends on, on where in the range of like super conservative to relatively modern you are within the Amish, traditional Amish spectrum. It, so people tend to have less children, the more um, materially modern, materialistically modern they are. When I say modern, that means you're allowed to have bikes and maybe um, use computers for your business, um, have mm -hmm. phones in the barn. That's the modern end of the traditional Amish spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> Why, why is it so difficult to get an accurate number of uh, uh, the people in these communities? It's not if we have funding to do that. It takes um, funding to go out to the communities and do all the groundwork, the legwork of getting the data. And, you know, making phone calls is not <laughs> to make phone calls and, and, and ask somebody, okay, so what's your, what's the number of your community right now, um, they're not going to give the information or if they give the information, we can't verify it. And um, that is for the communities that have um, access to a phone. And then there's a huge number of percentage of the population that don't have access to a phone. And so even in cases of emergency, they'll have to run to their non-Amish neighbor and ask you to call an ambulance or something. Wow. So cell phones are not something that they, they have access or are allowed to have access to? It depends, again, on, on the, where you are on the spectrum of <laughs> from super conservative to you know, liberal in, in the sense of the traditional Amish. Um, you, I, what I've seen over the past 25 years, since it's been 25 years now that I've escaped, which just is, <laughs> I can't believe it's been that long. Um, <laughs> but I've seen um, this trend uh, towards allowing the use of a cell phone more and more. Like even in my uh, one side of my family who tends to be a lot more conservative, they are allowing cell phone use. And you're not, of course, not supposed to bring it into the house. You're going to go to hell if you take the cell phone inside the house. But <laughs> you have to leave it out in the barn or in the phone shack or something. So that? that's why, go ahead, Helen. Sorry. I was curious. I don't know if you covered this last time. So um, excuse me if you did. Like, where did that tradition come from? Where, like, you know, electricity and using anything that of like the real world was sinful and you're going to go to hell um, because of it. You know what it's like to journey out of a once cherished belief. Maybe you were devoutly religious, escaped a cult, or perhaps you simply navigated out of some very difficult days. And now you'd like to help someone else do the same. Recovering from Religion is a wonderful support organization for people who feel confused, troubled, and alone as they come to grips with the possibility that they no longer hold a religious belief 
or that they risk losing everything if they're honest with themselves and others about their journeys. These people need our help, and Recovering from Religion needs yours. RFR is seeking volunteers. Perhaps you're formerly religious, or you have a specific skill set like speaking a foreign language. Maybe you're just a good listening ear. The RFR Volunteer Training Program will help you translate those abilities into critical assistance, encouragement, and support for the men, women, and youth who contact RFR every day from all over the world. You can relate. You can understand. And you can make their journeys easier. Join the team at Recovering from Religion and remind someone else that they are not alone and someone is here to help. To find out more, click the Volunteer tab at recoveringfromreligion.org. Well, I, I, I've pinpointed it to pretty much the turn of the century. It seems that that's where things really sort of got extreme. And not that there wasn't, you know, um, sort of extreme things going on before, but it's sort of like when electricity came about, the light bulb, the cameras, all that, that all those things um, came about at the turn of the century. All of a sudden, the, you know, certain faction of the Amish, whoever was in power, decided that this is um, uh, not acceptable, that this is you know, straying from the roots of the Amish or it's becoming too, like we're not separated enough from the rest of the world. So there's this very clear religious mandate that we need to be separated from, we're not of this world. Like we, we, are, we are in this world temporarily. Like we're not supposed to be of, you know, <laughs> You're it. better than us heathens. <laughs> Use cell phones. <laughs> Lighting. <laughs> and it actually even goes further back than that. Like it really is rooted in the origins of the Amish, the founder of Jacob Amon back in what is now Switzerland and Germany. Um, he raised a fit even way back then in like the 1690s that mm -hmm. the Mennonites are are too fashionable or too worldly and and the amish like especially the women need to you know stay buttoned up and all of that yeah. <laughs> so it's very very much rooted in just general you know protestant calvinist you know traditional christianity even so if you if you do some you know or uh, research into christianity you see that and even you know just mm. catholicism with this you know the self what is it called the self flagellation am i pronouncing oh that? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so you want to like, talk about the guilt <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's like the more we suffer the better our chance at getting into heaven that's the one another thing to to um uh, be aware of is that we amish are not promised that we'll get into heaven no matter how perfect we are how well we follow the rules you know the church law um, we may not get into heaven. There's a real chance we might not. <laughs> so, yeah. so at sort of like you, you the it, it's the the suffering. The harder your life is, the more you suffer. 
um, mm-hmm. that's sort of a gauge for, you know, the better your chances at being approved by God to get into heaven. There's a, a, a 90s song, like the more you suffer, the more it shows you really care. Or something like that. <laughs> I don't think an Amish uh, individual wrote that, but it was like a rock song. <laughs> but, it was and, an and so, a song about a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> and so um the 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 families uh, are are pretty darn large and it sounds and from what we talked about last time uh there aren't really new members coming in from the outside so it seems in order to keep this religion alive you have to have large families in order to uh keep the population going it sounds like well um people who say that the Amish you know population is the largest growing you know group in America or whatever that you know those people say who claim to be experts on as Amish are not factoring in the death rate as well they're looking at the birth rate but not at the death rate Mm. so over you know maybe yes the population is growing this year but next year it's going to drop off it sort of balances and and the only you know, there are, of course, over the course of 300 years, there has been, you know, a a population increase. Because in the beginning, even if you had 14 kids, which some Amish even today have, a lot of them died because the um, medical care wasn't as advanced. So my um, uh, grandmother, one of my grandmothers had 16 children. And five or more died and probably most of them if not all would have you know would have would be living today if she had them today just because of the the um, quality of medical care and so so for some um, conservative the more conservative end of the Amish um, have more children or the ones who are wealthier have more children and um, and over time the ones on the modern, more modern end of the spectrum, really modern end, they're starting to decrease the number of children because they don't need child, as much child labor anymore because they're allowed to use oh. computers, for example, or they switch from tr- this agrarian 1970s and early agrarian um, uh, life to being allowed to make an income that's off the farm. And so that also determines the number of children that people have, because, you know, you, you're not, you can't, <laughs> who, who are you going to hire if you're not making much and you're struggling as a farmer, or if you're not allowed to use, you know, modern technology to compete with modern competitors. Um, so Wisconsin versus Yoder was really about child labor, the, the ability to retain child labor, not about religious rights, even, you know, it, it, the Amish don't care. <laughs> I mean, it, they, they had been given all these accommodations by the state um, for religious exemptions in terms of, of whatever fits they had about um, the curriculum. Over and over, the state um, had, you know, exempted their children from you know, participating in gym, especially the girls or the girls being um, uh, allowed to wear special Amish uniforms that didn't show their ankles or whatever it was. 
<laughs> I'm a little <laughs> joking here, wow. but it really was, you know, <laughs> they had to wear uniforms that they're, you know, that Jonas Yoder's wife made because Jonas, you know, that was one of his, you know, <laughs> um, problems with the girls being part of Jim at, at the public school. So um, at the end of the day, it's just, it, it was really just about being able to put your children to work for free for you. And that's still the case. So the women in the Amish community seems to be like labor making factories. Is that kind of, is that accurate? I mean, it, there's, there's a <laughs> more blunt term for what, what a woman's role is. It, it's, you're supposed to produce kids. You're a broodmare. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's your... That's your job. And even in the Wisconsin versus Yoder document, if you look at the document that, um, you know, that final case document, um, when the decision was made um, by the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court actually agreed with the Amish church that if a child is born a girl, her only future is to become a housewife. That is the actual language in there. Wow. The Supreme, yeah, the Supreme Court isn't known for fantastic decisions. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and it's not any, you know, not any better for, for, you know, the boys. If you're a boy, you're supposed to become a farmer, like the farmer, the mm. housewife. Those were the exact terms in there. Um, but of course, if you're a boy, you, you get to bend the rules a lot more because you're superior. You, you know, you're, you're born you know, God has sees, you know, puts you in a better position or a higher position than if you're a girl. Got it. <laughs> you have to have a penis to have power, basically. <laughs> you don't have right. a penis. Yeah. I mean, we, we can't, I mean, what, what if you're, you know, LGBTQ, yep. you know, if you're intersex or anything like that, I, like mm -hmm. that's supposedly just blanket denied no that doesn't exist that's not possible okay. even though they know that that exists and there are bishops and and other clergy members who actively assault boys and it, it gets even worse than that <laughs> so um, even uh, like the, some of the nuanced gender um distinctions are not even recognized it's just purely binary in in the amish communities yeah the sounds of it yes um they i had a conversation with one of my cousins um within this past year actually it was not it was less than a year it was earlier this year and she the she brought up you know how something about the, you know i think it was probably in the context of gay marriage and and she would have vomited if she could have like that was how much she was against Jeez. it and how much disgust and and all of that she had for that and um I just <laughs> like I want to say things and talk and try to educate them but I also know if you're that resistant to it it's a waste of my breath you know it, it's a better mm -hmm. use of my time to talk to to those who are a little bit more open to the possibility. Um, but at, at that sort of response, that vitriol is just, 
there's <laughs> it's not worth my energy um but that is what you're i mean you're taught it's a sin um you're not you know everything that the religious right especially the super conservative religious right in mainstream america um you know whatever their views are against um lgbtq rights and gay marriage same-sex marriage that's um even more um the belief among the amish i have to imagine for the queer community that is in the amish community it has to be extra traumatizing because there are there's no secular resources available to you you're just kind of stuck you know dealing with these emotions and feelings and just being in this community that will not accept you and 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 from what you're describing is very um hostile towards you for if they find <laughs> out that you're on anywhere on the queer spectrum <laughs> yes um what uh i've i've heard stories a lot more stories from the men than i have from the women um women are just inside the amish inside the practicing amish community are just not reaching out or coming forward and i mean that's a product of the lack of access i mean that because simply because of your gender um you are uh, controlled a lot more and don't have the kind of access to the outside that that the males do um so the men have you know it's easier for them to reach out to the amish heritage foundation to find us to look online and find you know, find us and see that oh we're welcoming um you know we're supportive and all of that um and so i've had lots of conversations about you know with with um uh men who are still inside the practicing amish community and it hasn't changed the view you know since i <laughs> escaped 25 years ago um the same thing you know if if it's found out that the guy is questioning or gay um he's told marry a good amish girl and you'll get over it basically that's the solution mm -hmm. and repent you know of course you have to repent and confess in front of the entire you know baptized church membership and then you're supposed to marry a good Amish girl and that will solve everything. And of course it doesn't. Right. Yeah. Um, and so many of, of the men have double lives. They're able to do that because they can go into town or go you know, oh, somewhere wow. um, in the name of like, oh, we're taking care of business. We're going on a business trip or we're getting supplies or something like that. And so, they can hook up with somebody or go to you know a sex worker something like that and and that's how they manage but the women i don't know or those who um haven't don't even know that such a thing as like being gender fluid is is a thing you know <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I i yeah there's just so much work that needs to be done um, but none of it can be done effectively over the internet. We have to do it in person and go into these communities in person or, you know, train people who are there on the ground who have the trust of, of the Amish, the local Amish, and, and get those support and resources through them, like funneled through them. And even then, you know, it's a slow and long process because if you are questioning, especially 
a girl or a they them you don't even know what a they them is <laughs> like who are you going to trust right yeah <laughs> so that's that's the other thing is just being so afraid to to speak out or uh, or talk to someone because you don't know um what so, how you're going to be punished so on top of the uh, normal or the normal the usual religious trauma that folks experience coming out of uh, religions we've also got um, a lack of a uh, really significant lack of education uh, and and understanding about what the world is and how it works around them what um what is the so this sounds like that's why the homage heritage foundation was kind of set up to do some of this training um, for both outside the Amish communities and inside the Amish communities and uh, advocate um, for these issues as well? Yes, I think that's on the next slide. <laughs> so um, yes, so we um, provide educational service to Amish people, um, both practicing and non-practicing, but most of, of the services we provide are to practicing Amish who are inside reaching out oh, okay. or to um people on uh, who are non-amish but have amish neighbors or clients and reach out um, and, and try to help them on their behalf um, and then the other thing we just started doing that we discovered in the past you know several years um, we really need to develop um, amish cultural literacy training to counter the narrative that nothing is wrong nothing is going on so that's also sort of like the barriers come from both the inside and the outside. <laughs> and um, we've started doing that where um, like healthcare providers, social workers, um, first responders, training them um, how to, uh, you know, just be, uh, you know, culturally sensitive, but also be on the lookout for signs and be aware that, oh, wow. you know, Okay. you know this the this child you know might be abused or like this is something that we're starting depending on the state is easier than others but um like amish teachers for example depending on the state are mandated reporters but none of them are getting trained and they wouldn't even know how to like they don't even know that physical abuse is a crime or child abuse. <laughs> and so there's just so much work to do. And there's this issue of that even if a teacher or anyone in the Amish community knew that a child was being sexually abused, for example, they would just, if they said anything, would just report it to one of the bishops or the ministers who in most likely are um, offenders themselves. I mean, we have way too many documented um, cases of, of members of the clergy who have a sexual assault history. And um, that's the other big thing that, that depending on the state, again, there has been a lot more um, awareness by other organizations for in the state of Pennsylvania, for example, you can find articles every so often of, you know, an Amish bishop or, um, a male going to prison or at least getting, you know, going to court or something like that. But um, just as in the <laughs> mainstream American cases, um, 
there's just not, the criminal justice system does not favor the victim all too often. Um, and so it's just, it's a big, big um, headache and, and losing battle at times. <laughs> but, yeah, um, you know, the yeah. thing, yeah, so it's been <laughs> sort of like, you know, when we talk about like, what are the challenges or the struggles? It's like, well, how do we, which battles do we pick? Is kind Does of this sometimes feel like, uh, do you feel like Sisyphus sometimes rolling this boulder uphill mm -hmm. and then you come back the next day and it's fallen down? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, totally. And that's where I finally, you know, realized, okay, the, the best way forward, the most um, effective way forward for uh, making sustainable progress is to train others who aren't Amish, who don't have that background, but are passionate about the cause, passionate about children's rights, passionate about education, um, who are willing to do the kind of groundwork and legwork um, once they're equipped with the, with the um, you know, the education, the background, they understand that they have our support. They know that if they do go into the communities and they, um, you know, blow the whistle, they're not going to get backlash from uh, the press and the media, um, that we're there to say, yes, you're doing the right thing and to support them against those who are um, <laughs> advocates and proponents of Wisconsin v. Yoder who don't want to overturn. Those are the ones who are um, the biggest um, problem trying to keep prevent us from doing this work. So what kind of, uh, I, I really like this approach, um, both working to um, uh, educate and inform inside the Amish communities, but, but um, also uh, more in, uh, maybe even more importantly, working uh, on the outside, folks like myself, and, and uh, uh, just to kind of understand that this isn't an idyllic, uh, idyllic lifestyle and um, that there are issues that are common in so many other religions um, mm -hmm. that are endemic in, in these communities as well. I really, I really like that approach. Go ahead. Um, yeah. And you were, uh, you, the examples you gave about uh, educating um, first responders and uh, medical personnel, just, I had never considered that. That's brilliant in, in my view. <laughs> Thank you. <I> mean, <laughs> 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 that big boulder hasn't fallen back down. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that's that's what um, I, I hit on as well. You know, we realized that in order to mitigate that backlash from um, the non-Amish sympathizers of the Amish, who are mostly you know, those behind Wisconsin v. Yoder staying um, in place. Um, in order to um, respond to that, you know, where usually what, what we got in the beginning was just, oh, you're, you're you know, anti-Amish. It's like, oh, come on, I'm Amish. How can I be anti-Amish? Which <laughs> goes to the whole, you know, identity thing that I'll talk about later. But it's, it's sort of like, okay, yeah, um, this also happens in other um, insular and fundamentalist religions, such as ultra-Orthodox Jewish, um, Jehovah's Witness, um, uh, born-again fundamentalist Christian, um, you know, 
conservative Catholics, the um, conservative fundamentalist Muslims, the Mormons, you know, there's this whole list of <laughs> religious groups that the same things are happening. And um, when we launched our um, first conference, our first annual conference, that was the design of the conference was bringing in featuring speakers um, from different religious backgrounds who could speak to the, these similar issues and problems all stemming from um, educational deprivation at the heart of it. And now those who were against us couldn't <laughs> say, oh, we're picking on the poor Amish anymore. You know, oh, you know, you're just, you know, mad because of whatever, you know, you're just, you know, rebellious or something, whatever their, their <laughs> terminology was, but basically trying to dismiss me, you know, as, oh, just somebody who has a chip on her shoulder or something like that. Um, and it didn't matter, you know, that I was <laughs> it's abused, right? It's like, oh, no, you, you're just throwing a hissy fit. You're a spoiled brat or something like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so after that, it, it was, yeah, you, this, is, this is not unique um, to the Amish. This is something that's common, a common thread for fundamentalist closed religious communities. Yeah. It sounds yeah, it, like, <laughs> go ahead, Eric. <laughs> nope, Ellen, it's all you. Okay. Um, it, it also sounds like, you know, um, what you're, what you're talking about too, is like this demystifying, um, like fighting a lot against that because, you know, like before I like got educated on the subject, you just think like the Amish are quirky and they have like close families and, you know, they just want to like live off the grid, off the grid. And, you know, they're, they're down home and all this type of stuff. And then you find out that they have the same problems that the rest of us do. It's just that it's because they're so insulated and we have this sort of romantic view of it mm -hmm. that they kind of get almost ignored, you know, which, which, serves them you know if they want to keep you know um what's going on private but it it also causes on the other hand it causes all the suffering and frustrations to the people that are in those communities <laughs> yeah and and that's what um wisconsin versus yoder that case was really um you know this this point at which um, the religious right who were involved with, with the case who pushed it through and, and paid the Amish legal bills um, to take it all the way to the Supreme Court, they were invested in that ruling going in their favor, not because they gave a shit about us Amish. It was only because if they could get that pushed through, then they could get pushed through other more extreme um, religious freedom exemptions. And we can see that, we can track that from, you know, 1960s, 1970, from Wisconsin to Yoder all the way to now, that yes, that is a, was a, definitely a landmark case. It was not a landmark case for religious freedom or religious liberty, but it was a landmark case for extreme religious freedom, mm -hmm. like where it goes out of the bounds of your rights, where it actually infringes in, on, on others' rights. So, you know, the children's rights were never ever considered or talked about or covered. The children were not appointed a guardian ad litem who was supposed to advocate for them like basically be their attorney on behalf of the children that was completely just ignored 
And so even were the Amish women, they had no voice either in the case. It was all three, two <laughs> traditional Amish men, one beachy Amish man. Um, who Be- beachy like beachy Amish. <laughs> no, so it's 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 the last beachy is is a common amish traditional amish last name and oh, okay okay and it's and so the beachy amish were somebody who was traditional amish decided that you know he's upset with with certain rules laws of the traditional amish and he's going to start his own little spin-off um, group and so of course you know they name it after him and so it's called beachy Amish. <laughs> I, that was not what I pictured. I pictured a man with like an Amish beard and like a Hawaiian shirt and like you know, swim trunks and sandals with socks. Now that you met, like, like a beachy, like this traditional Amish guy, like riding riding to riding to the beach on his bike. That was my that was that's what I that was the visual that came into my brain. <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta create some graphics like with that to describe in our like literature social media here's definition of BT Amish yeah. it's got a, a, a hang loose bumper sticker on, on the buggy <laughs> oh man oh my god so, so yeah that's also another thing that in the case um it was never address that the beachy Amish are not traditional Amish. Everything hinged around the traditional Amish. And yet somehow like the beachy got grandfathered in. (laughs) And um, the case also pretended that this only applies to the 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 Amish because they they you know they have this sincerely held belief. That's the term. And they've had this for you know hundreds of thousands of years. And therefore you know that that means that they should have this exemption and it's only for them. But of course, the Supreme Court justices knew that anybody else could point yeah. to that case and use it as a precedent. But it's just the whole like hypocrisy and of the case just infuriates me. <laughs> like pretending yeah. like, oh, we never knew that this could apply to anyone else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was the whole plan all along. And I mean, we see that uh, even now with a little mm-hmm. tiny um uh supreme court decisions or court decisions and they just build upon it and build upon it until they get uh uh, where they want to go yeah 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 so we we say you know that case was decided you know it's unconstitutional the decision and it really is It, it was not constitutional and um you know it's all about the parents and not about the children and people just tend to forget that children are are american citizens they're u.s citizens with (laughs) with rights and not um you know owned by the parents or the the state or whoever um and so that's part of like what we're trying to do is like raise awareness about the rights of children you know that really comes down to to that um as well and as uh oh yeah okay, great yeah you're perfect you're yeah. gonna talk about it okay. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the past current and upcoming projects section so i talked a little bit about the annual conferences that's um where we we talk about um how to bridge the cross-cultural and cross-insular or cross-fundamentalist religious gaps 
And so the cross-cultural gap would be just the, you know, the generic mainstream um, America, non-Amish America um, versus the traditional Amish. And then um, the cross-insular fundamentalists is the different religious groups that I mentioned that have so many similar, um, the experience um, is so common. And then internship programs, um, we have that to uh, create a new generation of social justice advocates. So that could be, you know, in education or law or healthcare, whatever. Um, social justice kind of like <laughs> um, is an umbrella for all of it. And so um, that we have been running for two years, I think. So that was one of the first steps towards realizing, oh, we need training. We need to provide um, authentic Amish cultural training because there's just the books that you find or the documentaries or the so-called documentaries for LED TV, um, you get a one-sided, very biased, unrealistic picture. So with the um, conference, uh, is our mm -hmm. only um, folks from the Amish community uh, able to check it out or is it? Oh, no, this is uh, public. <laughs> we want people, everybody to come. And um, we are having uh, our third annual. We didn't have any in 2020 and 21 because of the pandemic. Um, but now we're having um, our third annual in March or April. We're still waiting on, on those dates, hoping to get that finalized um, within the next few weeks. And um, it'll be all virtual, all online via Zoom. Okay. And um, we, that was sort of like the up and down. We thought we would have one this year, but then uh, Columbia University kept changing their... <laughs> you know, um, guidelines about who was allowed on campus and who was in that end, we just had to scrap the 21 um, event. Yeah. Um, so we're just, we're gonna do, just do it virtual just to be on the safe side so we can go ahead and get it planned. Um, but it'll be a three day event and um, we're focusing on um, the 50th year anniversary or commemorating the 50 years of Wisconsin versus Yoder. Um, it actually starts this, this took place in the 70s and it's coming up on 50 mm -hmm. years yeah oh crap yep. i'm getting old <laughs> we're oh all getting God. old here <laughs> we're all getting old <laughs> uh, so uh, what kind of um uh, uh discussions or talks can can someone expect if they were to go to the or attend the con oh and how, and how much does it cost <laughs> well uh, first, you're going to be speaking, so tell us what you're going to be talking about. <laughs> I'll just be talking about RFR in general. <laughs> that's so important. You know, that that's another thing that we, um, you know, realize in terms of sort of like cloning ourselves or how can we, you know, reach, provide all these services that Amish people need um, is to find you know, trustworthy organizations and individuals who are already doing this kind of work. And that's what RFR is doing is providing this much needed peer support and secular therapy directory. I mean, that's huge. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's going to be one of the um, uh, parts of the conference is just focusing on services. You know, here's here are various um, organizations or um, individuals who are providing vetted secular services. 
And then the other um, aspects of it, 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 we always do something on Wisconsin versus Yoder <laughs> until that's overturned or invalidated. We will always talk about Yoder. Um, and so we're looking uh, for, we have a couple um, keynote um, candidates in mind. And of course, you know, the ones that we really, some, some of the ones <laughs> are our number one, not, I shouldn't say, you know, that we have a favorite because everybody's important, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we're more in demand than others. So uh, we're sort of, you know, pushing it out as much as we can, hoping to get a yes, but if not, like, it's going to be fantastic. We'll have some amazing keynote speakers who talk about um, constitutional law, like they're familiar with religion and, you know, division between church oh, and wow. state, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they'll definitely, so that's going to be the keynote speaker, somebody who, who we have three candidates and they're all equally fantastic. It's just a matter of who, who can say yes. Um, and so that kind of like kicks off you know, that's the main thing. Keynote, we'll have a keynote speaker one day and the second day, and then the third day is more like panels and support groups and that kind of stuff. A little bit more, not not informal, but still kind of. You know, to, yeah. um, and if it were offline, you know, everybody, we would have an after party and those, you know, usually go until after midnight. Yeah, that's the worst part that it's virtual. So we're, we're thinking about how can we do an, you know, um, a, an offline after event. So we'll see what we can do, what we can come up with, but um, it's such a pain with, with everything. <laughs> well, we can have a drinking game every time someone says yoder we can oh! just uh, drink. <laughs> I love, I love <laughs> drink. it yeah yeah I, <laughs> so um yeah the how other, much does it know what it cost uh, oh, to yes so we are doing early bird tickets which is 87 dollars for all three days but then the closer it gets to march april whatever it is the higher it's going to go and it'll be around $200 for general admission. Um, Perfect. So don't put it off <laughs> if you want to go. <laughs> or, you know, if, if the price tag isn't an issue, then, you know, no worries. <laughs> um, and then we also have uh, plans to, well, um, for people who are worried about whether or not they can make the actual three-day um event we're going to record everything so if you you know buy a ticket and you can't make it something comes up or you can't catch everything you'll get access to the replays for like 30 days or something afterwards so um that's something that shouldn't deter you if you can't do everything in person or at the time live brilliant brilliant awesome sauce <laughs> so um have yeah and if, for thanksgiving yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> and if anyone here wants to you know wants to present um we are except for the the, the services sort of spotlight part of the uh conference we're featuring only um women and those who identify as women or lgbtq mainly if you're cisgender male you're not eligible not because we don't like you but <laughs> because um we just want to make a statement and draw attention to the fact that none 
the children and the women and the you know LGBTQ didn't have a voice. They weren't represented 50 years ago. And so we're, we're you know, bringing in, of course, you know, supportive males and all of that, like Eric, <laughs> with, with our um, services or found, you know, sort of spotlight. And so you'll, you're still included, but I hope that's not offending anyone. <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, I, I really admire raising the voices of the uh, folks who have been denied uh, these opportunities in the past. And, uh, um, uh, you know, just one day is dedicated to, um, uh, some presentations with uh, folks like myself, but the other days are totally raising the voices of women and LGBTQ folks. And I love it. I think that's, that's perfect. Thank you Yay. for doing that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, our board members were all behind it too. So that, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so um, the culture training, I think I talked about that. So we're um, aiming towards long-term is that that our programs, our courses will be offered through universities that you can get credit for it, or you can get continuing education credits if you're a healthcare professional or legal professional, whatever it is. So that's that's the long-term view is to slowly get our curriculum into um, you know accredited um, universities or as part of a program, and. Then the Wisconsin versus Yoder, that's one of the things that I wanted to, um, that was in response to Eric asking the question, what is one accomplishment you're the most proud of and proud of everything, <laughs> but especially putting the Yoder case on the map. Like we started that and um, until, you know, I started talking about it and um, made it the, you know, the, the, uh, focus of the annual conferences, nobody who wasn't a lawyer or a religious, you know, person who was invested in, in Yoder, um, nobody else knew about it. And that's also why I asked the question, the poll question, have you ever heard of this case before? Because I, I want to see, are we getting, <laughs> are we reaching anybody? <laughs> Does anybody know about this? <laughs> Would you like me to pull up the poll results? Yeah, what is it? <laughs> All right, let me share those right now. Uh, so um, the vast majority of people, 71% said, no, they've never heard about it. But there were a few people who have heard about it, 14%, and another 14% weren't sure. So slowly but surely, you're getting it out there. And uh, <laughs> I think after this discussion, there's going to be another 46 people or, or more who know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that actually is 14% is huge. So oh, good. yeah, <laughs> so we, we are getting the word out somehow. Um, I'm just curious of those who heard about it, who knew about it, how did they find out about it? Did they know about it through the previous episode I did or some somehow? Um, That's how I knew it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, folks, and, type it in the chat how, if you knew about it, how you heard about it. <clears throat> and then what we have in the works is a documentary that documentary we did during COVID or like right before COVID hit and um, we and then of course like COVID messed up everything <laughs> in terms of um, getting it picked up by a network or marketing and all of that so I don't know what the status is of that like but we'll have an update at the conference if not sooner <laughs> but hopefully we can we can um 
uh, do a screen it at the conference. I'm I'm not sure. It it just um, it might be. It's probably not possible um, if it hasn't been sold yet or whoever buys it, you know, wants rights to it. So, but maybe we can do a little bit. What is the premise of the documentary? Um, that was going through Amish country looking for a, um, a, a plaintiff for Wisconsin versus Yoder. And so that's a very complicated um, process. Like, how do you overturn Yoder? How do you overturn a Supreme mm -hmm. Court case? Well, you have to find someone who has standing. Standing means, you know, the, the, um, the law considers you, you were injured and, and it's not outside the statute of limitations. Like you, ha you have, oh. you know, uh, yeah. And it. it's really, it's very much a catch 22 for um, someone who was raised Amish um, because the argument by the opposing side is, well, if you manage to somehow escape and flee with only the clothes on your back and somehow get into high school and college, well, then now you're no longer injured. <laughs> it's Got just it. ridiculous. Um, so we, we thought we had a plaintiff. We had, did find somebody who, who was within the statute of limitations. And then um, he decided he doesn't think education is important after all. So it was it was a very heartbreaking um, <laughs> how it how it turned out. You know, for me, it was just yeah. it just underlines the issue with the lack of education and the devaluing of education among the Amish and the non-practicing Amish population. Those who um, exit the religion are most most of them just as anti-education um, as inside the church. So. We have our work cut out <laughs> for us, yeah. but there's another pathway towards um, uh, invalidating Yoder, which is changing legislation. And so that's something we'll be talking about at the conference about how to go about doing that, getting it on the ballot. And you have a question? What are, uh, yeah, you also, I also see here, what are college readiness programs? What does that look like? So that's something that we're, we're seeking grant funding right now to um, fund a pilot program where we will offer um, basically an enhanced GED is how best to visualize it, um, where people can, uh, and it'll be online, all online, but we're going to provide um, a special, uh, very um, uh, um, accessible mentoring um, where whoever wherever you're at because here's here's what happens with with some some Amish or those who come from you know educationally deprived backgrounds like ultra orthodox Jewish that you might you don't have the English language skills or writing skills to pass um uh the uh the language or um English um aspects of the Ajidi or if you have that Maybe you don't have the science and math. Most people don't have science and math or they find it very hard to get to the point where they can pass the science and math. And so what they need is we, they need tutors basically who can meet them wherever they're at and just work closely with them. And so this will be geared towards closing the gap between Amish eighth grade and college um, entry, but it's gonna be open to whoever identifies as needing that kind of service because we don't think that we can get even you know 20 people who 
have <laughs> come from the Amish to do this because they're again like there's this big um, anti-education kind of attitude and so like the people that do leave do they move <laughs> to like Mennonite or other lighter forms of the Amish faith like they want to have more access to like technology and an easier way to life but they still have those old ideas like you know a woman's place is, is like you know in the kitchen and making babies and you know um and education is bad and they have all these like really weird ideas um kind of mixed in with yes. wanting more secular things in their lives <laughs> yes you, you you said it perfectly that's exactly what's going on and there's a huge huge mental health stigma among the amish um, and so to seek therapy, to acknowledge that you've been traumatized or have traumas, like all of that is just, that's considered weakness and, and inferiority kind of. And even mm -hmm. acknowledging, especially among the men, not so much the women, but the men to, to acknowledge that they need more education, that they need to go, you know, yeah. get a GD or pass a GD, that's considered a sign of, of weakness. And they, I get so many reports from like just regular GD instructors who, um, you know, the, the, the men that do come in from the Amish will just drop out because they, they don't, um, one of the big things is that they have, that they're against is having um, a female teacher instructor. Oh, wow. Do they also drop out too? Cause like, there's this, like the attitude that like, um, you know, you kind of already know everything. And like, if you, if you hit like a challenging subject that you hit a little bit of a wall, will they like become resistant to it and not work through it? Have you seen that at all with that, the, the well, need to like push through having a harder time with education and pushing through those barriers when things do get hard? Well, it, it's, it's, it's that, but I mean, it, it points to my theory is after everything that I've seen is that their um, traumas get triggered from when they were in, right. school, in Amish school, you oh. know, where, um, and, and, and they, but they're not aware of that. They're not cognizant of that. And, and that's part of what, what our program will provide. That's why we call it an enhanced GED among other things Like we're adding in that kind of like um, uh, sort of, you know, mental health or self-awareness um stuff like learning here here's how you study here some of you know how does this make you feel like we have to do it at like a third grade level and like sneak it in kind of not let them know <laughs> right <laughs> but but somehow get them you know aware that oh this is it's not because you're stupid it's because of like something happened or some you had a bad experience at school or maybe you were told you know you know you're you're dumb or whatever and and so yeah it's just a lot of like extra work that has to go in to to get them to um jump over those barriers so yeah uh, i have to imagine that's hard you know especially if people that have like ADHD or, mm -hmm. you know, they're on that, the spectrum or they, you know, they're, or they're dyslexic and it's never been diagnosed. I'm just throwing mm -hmm. out like, you know, common examples. And then yeah. they go into a formal setting to learn how, you know, to get their GED and they, they're not even aware mm -hmm. of, you know, um, 
you know, certain things that they have that they have to overcome. And nobody ever pointed it out to them because I doubt anyone in the Amish community is getting, you know, um, training on learning disabilities. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I totally, I mean, that's a major component that I, I forgot about to mention. But yes, like, um, unless you have dyslexia, you're not considered to have a learning disability, basically, <laughs> like ADHD, being on the spectrum, like none of that is, is tested or acknowledged or very little. I mean, I'm sure there's some communities, some schools who might now like be a little bit more aware of that and consider that or acknowledge it. But we're talking about, you know, the average population or average school, they're not paying attention to that or acknowledging it. And so that's going to be part of like whoever's coming in, they'll get tested not only on the, wherever they're at with the various subjects, but also on the learning disabilities. Like the, they'll go through all of those various testing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, some uh, many of the children, uh, Amish children go to a public school, but are there, uh, or, and then many are homeschooled. Um, are there some uh, special Amish only schools that are operating as well? So it's actually the opposite. Very few oh. um, children go to public school. Okay. Yeah. And, and I don't know the data on that. That's another thing that we have to, you know, we, we have to get that research done, which always points back that we need funding. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not like we can just call up somebody and they're <laughs> going to know or tell us accurately. Um, so yeah, so most um, Amish go to private religious schools, parochial schools, and that was one of the things that came out of Yoder. That was the big, you know, contention or um, you know push was to have let the Amish have their own schools with Amish teachers who aren't state certified and don't mm. have an education past the Amish eighth grade. And I would imagine, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that corporal punishment may still be involved like spanking or striking with the rulers like catholic schools is that still probably a part of the amish school uh, uh, experience as well yeah the teachers are you know expected to spank or beat the children you know it depends on the to do that yeah if, if the child you know is not oh. obeying them um they're you know expected to punish them, which usually means, you know, some form of physical. It just really depends on the teacher on how harsh it's going to be, because a lot of the teachers are barely out of the eighth grade themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and most Amish teachers are girls um, before they get married. They get married young, <laughs> so they don't have a lot of years to teach before they're married. And um, so a lot of them are not, you know, I, I don't know. It just depends on the disposition of the teacher, how willing and, you know, up, she, you know, how, 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 you know, much she wants to physically, um, you know, abuse a child or spank a child. Um, I don't, I've never seen the rulers, the use of rulers in my experience, or if I have, I forgot about it. Um, but like having a leather strap and taking a kid out, oh, Jesus. you know, outside and, you know, using the strap on them, that's not unheard of. I mean, that's, yeah. I would imagine that would also contribute to some reluctance in 
pursuing education if that was the experience that you had tied to learning and school was uh, being whipped and spanked. Oh my God, why did I not think of that before? Of course, I never made that connection, which tells me how normal that is <laughs> because I just, oh my God, yeah, no wonder. Because if you, if you were you know, beaten for not doing well in school or refusing to do your work because you couldn't, you have a learning dis disability. How are you supposed to like do well in school? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So um, here are just some success stories <laughs> that uh, you uh, had asked for. So here's something, um, a practicing Amish wife and husband. They're inside the church who um, appreciated our help. Those are far and few um, in between where it's actually the wife and the husband, but that was a, a major case that we, we helped in the end. Um, didn't turn out the way we wanted and I can't give away too many details because of confidentiality but um it, it was yeah just a heartrending case you mind if I uh, read that if you can go back oh, and I can read that yeah, for the, sure. the folks who are on the phone um, if it weren't for the Amish Heritage Foundation and their dedicated staff we would never have been able to stand up to the abuse inside our church we would have just given up and that was uh, testimonial from a practicing practicing Amish wife and husband. And then here's uh, one from a female college student. Um, of course, she had to leave the church. Um, and she says, the Amish Heritage Foundation has provided me with life-changing emotional support, influence, and guidance. I don't feel so alone anymore. Mm, and cool. she, yeah, she was doing school part-time and working on getting her bachelor's. And then an Amish male, 18 year old, when I escaped, I didn't even know if I had a birth certificate. The Amish Heritage Foundation helped me get documented right away so I could get a job and be recognized as an American citizen. I had never considered, do they have in-home births? Are they some are they given a social security number that's what it's, that's it's, that's the first thing that went into my head i'm like yeah no birth certificate what <laughs> it it depends on the family and on the community but there we have so many so many teens coming to us asking to get documented help with getting their documentation some have um have a birth certificate on record they just never even knew heard of a birth certificate themselves and um, were able to you know research it and find out if they have if that was filed others don't have a birth certificate at all they're completely Jeez. undocumented so which is, do, mm -hmm. i'm sorry i just had a quick question so do they did they almost like partic participate in the census or anything like how do they keep how does the government keep track of their um the, po the population within these communities well they um it, it is again going to depend on the community, okay. on what the local church decides whether or not you are allowed to participate in the census or not. Um, they, at the end of the day, um, can claim religious exemption from that because we don't, because the whole, like the premise of the Amish and, and Wisconsin v. Yoder and everything is that, oh, we don't rely on the government, we don't use government mm -hmm. aid for anything. And so if you're not using government aid, supposedly, then the census shouldn't be 
<laughs> something like yeah. that. Oh, okay. There. All right. It just, you know? it's very, it just some of the stuff. I'm sorry. And I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's just, some oh, no. of the, it's, yeah. it's very foreign and strange to me that, <laughs> you know, the inner workings of how a lot of this stuff happens, you know, because I just figured, you know, well, they must have birth certificates and social security numbers, and they just they just live like a rural, rural lifestyle and are just a little quirky and weird. And <laughs> and now, like when you go and like you're looking at the whole thing, you're like, huh, that's odd. That's really weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad so, you're asking these questions because I, you know, tend to this is all normal for me, and I, I yeah. forget sometimes to point out these things like this birth certificate thing. I would have totally forgotten about that if I hadn't had it on my slide. <laughs> uh, I remember kind of as I was starting to go out on my own and, uh, you know, applying for jobs and social services and uh, driver's license and passports. Uh, the very basic thing I really needed was just to prove that I was born and the age that I had and that I was a U.S. citizen. And so it's, again, that's another hurdle for folks who want to leave the Amish communities to and, and get into the, good Lord, and get into um, society outside of, of uh, geez, that's, <laughs> what a, yeah. wow. Uh, it's all the uh, stuff that we've kind of taken, we take for granted, you know, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's are there it's really uh, before I forget and then I'll let you answer the way to, to think about this is um, the concept of of Amish refugee, which is what I, you know, finally, you know, came to I'm like, oh, this is we're that's a good way to put it. Yeah, refugee experience. We're native born citizens having the refugee experience we have. We come from 300 plus years of American citizen, uh, citizenship, but we're still refugees. Or having that experience. Is there any issues that crop up with um, the uh, homeland security with people not having birth certificates or documentation? Like, like if we had people entering the com the country with without any documentation, they would be sent back uh, possibly or or dealt with way differently. Are there any issues that crop up about that? Um, it it is it. <laughs> I'm able to be successful with it because I know how to approach the various agencies. But I'm also, you know, I've, I've always had a very legal mind, like mentality, and and I'm also was, you know, pretty highly educated. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, you know, so I'm just because of my personal like abilities and talents and interests, I'm able to make the case to get this um get these doc you know these individuals documented these citizens documented but over and over the um people who come to to me will say that they've been trying to get this for three years two years you know five years whatever it is before they found find out about the amish heritage foundation so is um so is this another service that American or that the eighth uh, Amish yes. Heritage Foundation. Yeah, we help wow. you get documented. <laughs> it just sounds so odd to say that, but it really kind of does. <laughs> but I like how you uh, came up with that refugee um, kind of uh, uh, description. That I can I can see it now. Yeah, yeah. And then here are just a couple um, uh, testimonials from students and clients and interns about the um, Amish cultural literacy courses. 
Um, one said, I never really thought about the implications of this lack of education and strict insular way of life, especially on women and children. And I now know some specifics, whereas I only knew general assumptions before. And another person says, I now feel able to understand when the Amish are brought up in politics, mostly regarding excessive religious liberty exemptions. This extends to similar groups such as Mennonites and ultra-Orthodox Jewish. And then someone here says, curious, passion, inspired, and passionate. That's how I feel after learning even just the bare basics about the Amish from the intro course. I see now why we need a movement to catalyze change for Amish children and women. And so that kind of like just demonstrates why this training mm -hmm. is so important. You know, like you didn't even know about these issues, right, Helen? Mm -hmm. No, I didn't. No, I'm, I'm learning. I, like I said, like I, I'm, I, le I learned a lot from the last talk you did. And I'm now I'm learning a lot more about these issues that are pretty much invisible to a, lo a lot of us, you know, that these things are happening. And we've, you know, and like I said, we have this very romanticized view and and we're forgetting about the real harm and these issues that are going on in these communities. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like, let's not forget about, you know, the other, um, you know, closed groups, you know, that also yeah. aren't documented. You know, like this, again, is not unique to right. the Amish. You know, there are others, you know, who are um, depending on, on, you know, what group they're in. They didn't even know who was the president of the United States. Um, you know, I've gotten stories from that, from, from like fundamentalist Mormons who didn't, who thought like their Mormon leader was the president. Oh. And, and that's no, you know, like that's another thing that's common um, among, you know, Amish kids depends on, on what kind of education they did get in the Amish schools, but some might not know who the president is. One of the, um, Amish kids who came to us for help was born in a state that borders Canada and didn't know where Canada was. <laughs> That's just basic geography. I'm like, yeah, this is, wow. like I'm, there's, there's the, just my brain is like, what? What? <laughs> like, how do you not know where Canada is or who the president is? It's just, it's, yeah. it's wild and frustrating. <laughs> Yeah. And even for me, like it shocks me and which is why I need to, you know, just keep asking these same questions for people who come to us, like put them through like the standard sort of like intake that, you know, we finally develop because even I assume, oh, you know, her Canada is, but no, not everybody was eager to look at the, you know, the globe in the Amish schoolroom Like I was, <laughs> I mean, that's how I learned. Like I wasn't taught in a formal class where Canada was, I just, you know, read, read the globe because I wanted yeah. to know. <laughs> well, to be fair, if you asked me to point out like, like Iran on a map, I probably couldn't find it unless it was labeled. So, <laughs> so to be fair. <laughs> oh, you know, it's not, it, to be fair, it's not the same. <laughs> you know? I know, but I'm just saying like, you know, I, I'm trying to be like, a, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to give a little bit, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I hear you. <laughs> Uh, but this is something where 
I mean, what you're saying is, is, is one of the familiar sort of pushbacks to people who oppose us. And so my response is, so you want to be mediocre? You want to be, <laughs> is that your standard for success is <laughs> mediocre? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> I strive for mediocre. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I have to make a joke about it when when I hear I this stuff because it's, yeah, it's hard to hear. <laughs> it is, and and it's just you have to laugh or you'll scream. And so yeah, exactly. <laughs> try to be as humorous as possible. Right. <laughs> so anyway, um, some of the challenges. Um, the previous slide said funding. It all comes down to funding. <laughs> so we finally, I think, got part of that solved, which is just, you know, the big barrier was realizing that I couldn't um, delegate the grant writing to a development write, a director or writer. You know, even somebody wanted to volunteer couldn't um, write grants for us because they just didn't, couldn't, didn't know all the issues and couldn't make the argument. Um, so I think we kind of finally got through that hurdle. So hopefully this upcoming year we'll have a good year <laughs> when it comes to funding. Um, and then- Is that where the, you get most of your funding is through grants or can folks like myself contribute some? You can definitely donate <laughs> as an individual. Like we'll take your money. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, grants grants are where most of our money comes from. We just don't, um, you know, have the like the volunteer force to, um, you know, do this kind of like fundraising on the grassroots level for us, you know, from individual donors. And so um, it made like sort of the biggest ROI was was the grants was to go through the grants. But that will, you know, change as we get more as we get funded better and we can hire people, um, you know, to work permanently, um, then of course that will like make the fundraising easier as we go along. Where can but, people go uh, to donate if they wanted to contribute? You can go to amishheritage.org give. And we are a 501c3, which means um, whatever is lawful, you can get tax deducted. You can get a tax deduction for it. And our um, EIN um, is on our website on the about page, somewhere on the about page. <laughs> Starts with 8-2. That's the only thing I can remember. Um, but yeah, anything you want to want to donate any amount, you can make that on that page. Yeah, Amishheritage.org slash give. Okay, got it. And we're also... For the conference, we always have um, sponsorship opportunities. So those usually come from businesses, businesses or corporations. But individuals, if they want to be a sponsor and get, you know, some, uh, you know, press and media and shout-outs to our newsletter in exchange, all of that information will be on on the the conference page once we have it ready to accept ticket sales. Perfect. And then, so, oh, go yeah. ahead. Yep. No, tell, uh, it was going to move it along. Tell us about the future of Amish Heritage Foundation. What, yeah. what's, what's coming down the line? <laughs> so, um, so this is the broad future, not the immediate, but you know, the lo longer term. Although some of it is immediate, which is um, 
the uh, overturning the Yoder case and um, uh, introducing legislation to make education a federal right, a federal constitutional right for all US citizens. And so that we will go into a lot more detail at the conference and also before leading up to it, if we have some answers, um, but I really don't think we'll see that until it, it'll be a result from the conference about how people can start on a local level with their state to um, lobby for this mm. right. Um, that sounds like a big job to do. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, a big job trying to find someone withstanding to overturn Yoder. I mean, it's just crazy. Like, I'll, I can go into more detail later if someone is interested, um, but it can make your headache. Uh, <laughs> and and legislation in just um uh, putting it on the ballot um seems like it, that might in the end be the way that it'll come about um just like how we got gay marriage for example or or actually i don't even know that was uh, not gay marriage um how we got uh, uh medical marijuana like you know how they did that started that in yeah. in colorado in states, washington right. So oh, yeah, this, Colorado. This is, yeah, this is the approach we're we're looking at um, to get this. So uh, it sounds like the approach is to build momentum in the states, and then um, this, once this majority or so many states have been uh, taking this on, then it's like okay, the federal government now has to do something about it. Uh, yeah, does this look like it's an uh, would be an amendment? To the U.S. Constitution is this what it's looking like? Well, well, here, here, here's the the thing, which is there we have attorneys, or you know, who advise us, who are advising us on Yoder, have been from the beginning about how to go about overturning it or the constitutional ins and outs of it. And the argument is, is that there is not an explicit right to education on the federal level. However there is an implicit right to education because if you don't have a certain level of adequate education, which changes as you know, the, um, uh, with, with the times, then how are you going to have a citizen, you know, a, a, um, a citizenry who knows how to, how to mm -hmm. serve effectively on the jury or do other things that are, um, uh, uh, that we need in order to have a flourishing democracy, in order to have a healthy democracy. You need like a certain type or a certain standard of educated citizens to mm -hmm. do that. So that's the argument um, for um, overturning the Yoder case. But even that we can't do without somebody who has standing. <laughs> and to sure. find that person is just like, it's looking for a needle in the haystack. Um, and so hopefully we can get, while we're looking for that person, we're also getting um, education as a constitutional right in every state that it isn't currently. They're not the majority of states. I think there's, there's like maybe only 20 or so states actually have it in their state constitution that you're entitled to education. Hmm. Um, it just so. seems to make sense to me. And <laughs> so what's the pushback against like you know um just having this in you know to be like federal law like you are 
you know, it's a right for you to have education. Like, I don't, like, I'm curious, like what pushback there would be to that? Well, it, it's the same, it's the same people who push Yoder through. Okay. Yeah. I understand are pushing that. back. I mean, they're very, very, I mean, well-funded and very, you know, good at what they do they they know constitutional law and they know how to argue but they're wrong they were educated <laughs> yeah but we we had I love the yeah, irony exactly, exactly but we had cr a crappy attorney who went up against you know the um uh, the opposing side in the yoder case like it's like why were you so shitty in your argument like you sucked i could have done better than you like what was going on like i don't i'm just like were you paid off like what was in it for you to not argue present a better argument a stronger argument so i i don't know <laughs> like i i just there's no way that it it you know we have enough of of a pop a voting population who is for education than those who aren't <laughs> and it just needs to be um publicized correctly mm -hmm. properly you know we need to get the word out and social media thanks to the advent of social media now um it's a lot easier to get the message across it's also easier for everything to just get lost in the noise <laughs> but yeah. in the end you know social media is to have all those platforms is a very very good thing and um i i really do see the um federal right for education going in tandem with the trend towards more and more voting americans being mm -hmm. secular you know so as the american population becomes more secular um, or identifies as non-religious or non um we will get something like the very obvious right to education through. <laughs> mm. Well, we're running a little short on time. What sure. uh, what else do we have? I think that's it. That's oh, how to get involved. Yeah, let's talk about it. Go to that slide. Yeah, one one slide is left. How to get involved? I love it. <laughs> so we already talked about giving. Um, you can shop as well. We have some merch. Um, it's just AmishHeritage.org slash shop. And you can also um, use Amazon Smile. You probably know how to do that already with RFR. Um, and then you can train with us. That's just to get, you know, become an intern or take some of our courses and then share the cause. Talk to everybody you know and <laughs> tell them Perfect. about this. <laughs> And that's Tora, it. thank you so much for talking for coming on and sharing about Amish heritage. You know, um I had really no idea about this and it was just completely not even on my radar. But um having you kind of work through what uh a typical Amish person experiences and uh, I can clearly see the need for uh, the Amish Heritage Foundation and it's and it looks like what programs you're creating and offering are just brilliant so thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about it thank you so much i just makes all this work worth it all the tears to <laughs> hear that oh, it actually is it makes sense yeah. Yeah. we've got quite a few questions i think we'll have to uh, uh pick some of them but uh, helen you want to start us off go ahead and pick one 
Sure. Um, I'll pick a question. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask like a little bit more of a personal question. Um, do you still keep in touch with any of your old Amish community? Not my immediate family, um, who, by the way, my parents decided it was okay to resign about five years after I escaped. So they, <laughs> you know, went total like gung ho, born again fundamentalists. And <laughs> so I'm even worse, even more going to hell than I was before. <laughs> you evil heathen. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and um, I do uh, talk to one side of my family and those are, are the um, aunts, uncles and cousins who remember me when who grew up with me and mm -hmm. they, you know, have those nostalgic memories. And I also wasn't baptized like I, I met I got out before I was forced into getting baptized. And so they there's a loophole in Amish law that they can do business with people who aren't baptized. Whereas if I've been oh. baptized, there'd be this like official excommunication in place. Oh, wow. I didn't Any know that question? either. I learned something else now. <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. Uh, we had a, a person asking, um, have, has Wisconsin v. Yoder been cited in a lot of the Supreme Court decisions? Like, is it uh, just a small amount of citations or has it been heavily cited over the years? It will always, almost always seems to get cited or acknowledged in religious freedom issues. And when I say religious freedom, um, religious liberty is interchangeable, <laughs> liberty or freedom. Um, and so even the most recent one, I believe, is, is in the case of California, something about um, the, uh, uh, a case where the kids wanted to go back to private school, in-person private school. You can maybe do some research and Google it, but um, Yoder is almost always acknowledged, maybe not like really attention drawn to it. And I think purposely, I don't want attention drawn to it, but it's there very much um, in, in the minds and awareness of the Supreme Court justices. So yeah, a kind of follow up to that, is there like legislative workarounds that they're, try that they're trying to do um, with that case? The California case? No, I'm sorry, for um, the Wisconsin versus Yoder. I'm not aware of any legislation being done. I mean, this is, um, you know, unless somebody else does something before we do, we'll be the first people to actually come up with a plan on a legislative level. Is uh, Wisconsin versus Yoder also um, uh, cited in a lot of just non-Supreme Court cases? Uh, I, I guess if it has to do with religious freedom, then they kind of any case in the United States, they kind of cite this as well. Is, is that the case? Well, it, it generally, um, it, it's not really discussed outside law cases. Um, okay. it, it is usually, um, like in law school, uh, everybody in law school, to my understanding, is introduced to the case it's mentioned because it is considered a landmark case. But as one of my constitutional law friends said, yeah, we, we heard about it for five minutes and then moved on. 
that's it's dismissed like that it's just mm. routinely dismissed and made out to be not important or doesn't affect you it, it's only an amish case um and then everybody who is in the religious rights legal space definitely does know about Yoder and will always use it and point to it whenever it serves them. And we can see this in like the homeschooling movement, for example, like they are, you know, completely 100% dependent on Yoder remaining in effect, um, no. because they, they've put so much into their homeschooling stuff, you know, that depends on Yoder. Got it. I think we got time for one final question. Okay, so um, are there so are there Amish communities outside the United States, like an example for like Australia or other countries, or does this seem to be like an American institution? It's only um, North America. There was that. So anybody who um, <laughs> thinks they're Amish in Australia, no, those are imposters. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> pretending to be Amish. You know, they're not. Go to any Amish bishop and he'll say what? <laughs> no, so this is yeah. I mean that's an example of how you know how we Amish are just routinely exploited for the benefit of whoever's exploiting us. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there are you know offshoots of Amish that are, you know, it's easy to confuse you know, conflate them with Amish. So there's part of that. Um, but if you just, you know, buy some Amish clothes and walk around in Amish clothes and have a little, you know, commune or, <laughs> you know, like anybody's going to think, oh, you're Amish. They're not, if you're not educated, right? You're not going to know how to, how to figure out is that guy or person like actually, you know, Amish or not. <laughs> Laura, thank you so much. Um, before we kind of uh, wrap up the show, do you have any um, final thoughts or, or words that you want to say? Um, I don't think so. I mean, just reach out. If you have more questions, you can email me. Um, you can also text me at 212-634-4255. I'm always happy to answer questions. Um, that said, sometimes, you know, I, I'm overwhelmed. So if you really want your question answered, just be a squeaky wheel. <laughs> oh, um, you had uh, asked me to remind you about that tabletmag.com uh, article. Uh, mm -hmm. Do children have a right to education? Did you want to briefly talk about that? Um, I will just like mention that California case is in there. So whatever that California case is, um, there, uh, there's a uh, paragraph or so about it in, in that tablet magazine article. And that article is like heavily linked with resources and all of that. And I have not had time yet to go through and check out all the resources. So some of them like may not be good articles or what I consider, you know, um, uh, credible <laughs> sources, but okay. the article itself is like as, as well as can be expected. Um, and that's because um, the writer, you know, the journalist um, really actually, um, you know, asked me a lot of questions and was very diligent about getting it accurate. So I appreciate that. Um, Anabaptist is one of the terms that the article brings up and, and um, the writer, the journalist says it means to be baptized again. That's actually not what it means. It means one baptism. 
in, in, in for us, for us Anabaptists, like, because our infant baptism was not considered a valid or, you know, baptism. And so we're only baptized once, but, um, you know, there's just technicalities, some technicalities like that. <laughs> um, but for the most part, you know, I mean, it's definitely a huge, huge improvement. I can see that we've made a lot of progress in terms of getting accurate articles out from journalists who reach out to us and, and interview us. Got it. Tora, again, thank you very, very much. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, Healing, and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There, you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering From Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering From Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.